Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, October 27th. It just keeps happening, folks. Another jam-packed championship weekend ahead in the pro tennis world, of course. Here on this show this week, the two events we've been monitoring most closely are the two ATP 500s in Basel and Vienna. That will continue to be the case today as those two tournaments, most important in that essential storyline, the race to the ATP finals, and those two tournaments continue to deliver the goods on court as well. My focus as it relates to those two ATP 500s. going to be a couple of players in particular. I think it's amazing that if you ask a hardcore tennis fan, has this year been disappointing for Daniil Medvedev? I think most fans, particularly given his North American hardcore stretch, would answer yes to that question. Of course, it's a year that saw the 26-year-old ascend to the world number one ranking, and yet Disappointing exit, albeit to Nick Kyrgios at the U.S. Open. He didn't really compete for the title in either Cincinnati or Toronto, and he's been so good on those hard courts over the last three seasons. Yes, he was up two sets to love and very nearly two sets to love and a break on Rafa in the Australian Open final to start the year, but again, All of those things said, it's worth pointing out that Daniil Medvedev has reached his 10th quarterfinal of the season in Vienna, and Medvedev now one of just seven players with double-digit quarterfinals on the year, considering how much of the clay court season he missed with injury. I mean, again, if this is a disappointing season for the 26-year-old, if this is the baseline we expect at a minimum from him moving forward, I think that speaks pretty highly of the 26-year-old, who was excellent today in a straight set victory over Dominic Team, proving to the entire tennis world that he is healthy going into these final few events of the 2022 calendar. And I want to break down that match in particular from Vienna. Of course, our quarterfinals are set. We knew who some of them were going to be going into the day in terms of quarterfinalists, but Felix... 10th consecutive victory. Oh my God, was he exceptional in a win over Kasmenovic in Basel. Yannick Sinner continues to do his thing. Holger Runa, I mean, talk about a guy who has taken a mini leap to end 2022. Plenty of meat still left on the bone of those two ATP 500. So of course, they will continue to be the focus today. That said, when I allude to a jam-packed weekend of championship action, it's time to introduce some other events into our conversation of this week here on this show. Two in particular I want to touch on today. The WTA 125K event in Tampico. The draw was loaded to start, and it's going to be a fun championship weekend. Just listen to some of these names still alive. Layla Fernandez, who in my opinion, very wisely getting some matches under her belt to end the season. I'll talk about where she is from a rankings perspective, why I love this choice from the Canadian to play down the year's home stretch, even though she's not going to be competing in Fort Worth next week. But she's still alive. Kami Osorio still alive. Katarina Sinyakova, who won a title, I believe, about a month ago at the tour level. She's still alive. Rebecca Marino's played some great tennis down the home stretch. You had former UST a girls 18 San Diego champion Ashlyn Kruger pushed top seed Elisa Mertens two three sets Mertens ultimately knocked out by Magda Lynette 
I kind of just gave you a synopsis of what's going on at that 125K event. And again, I'm not going to focus on it too closely, but I do want to bring it to all of you listeners and tennis fans' attention. That event is awesome. And another one to sneak into your viewing experience throughout the course of the weekend. And then every so often, I got to get to my roots. And I've talked about this plenty of times here on the mini break for God's sakes, our Monday episodes of the GSP hosted by Damian Kust and Jakob Bobro focus on all the challenger action that happens week in, week out on tour. But in the late 2000s, early 2010s, there weren't a ton of viewing options available to tennis fans. One of them was livestream.com slash ATP, rest in peace to a fantastic website that offered every challenger match happening around the globe. And you can find them now all on ATP Challenger TV. But, you know, those were my roots. Watching the young Americans in particular, I always say my rise corresponds to the rise of Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, Stefan Kozlov, Michael Moe, etc., who were all having such success at such a young age on the Challenger Tour and, you know, especially for North American listeners, and I know many of our Mini Break podcast listeners are based in North America, there's a really good Challenger, very fun action happening in Las Vegas this week. You've got a player who I jokingly say is not eliminated from the GOAT race yet in 17-year-old Jerry Shung, who has had a breakout year on the Challenger Tour. We're going to see him playing more ATP-level action next year. You've got plenty of college guys, Sandgren, Holt, Galarno, of course, the GOAT, Stevie Johnson, Stefan Kozlov, Ernesto Escobedo, two of the OG next-gen ATP Americans still alive in action. Want to talk about some of those challenger results, which I have taken the time to watch because I just can't help myself, folks. If there's a North American, particularly United States-based challenger, especially with the group of guys in there now, so many I've spent so much time, invested so much time, I should say, in the past few years watching, and I've done that again this week. So I want to talk about that for all of you listeners, but that'll be the order of operations. We'll talk Vienna, Basel, WTA 125K, and then, of course, that challenger action in Las Vegas here on today's show to set the scene of what you you can expect from, again, another exciting championship weekend in the pro tennis world. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners and, of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. I'll just be quick with it today. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. We are immensely grateful for their support. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. For all of your tennis equipment needs, tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. With that said, let's get into this week's action. And I know I've been going alphabetically so far this week. Let's switch things up. Let's start with the action in Vienna, which I will quietly say is probably my preferred draw of the two. Now, you look at the quarterfinal matches, this is breathtaking. And many of you listeners know I am a man who spends quite a bit of time on TennisAbstract.com, in my opinion, an essential resource to anyone who wants to follow tennis closely, anyone who wants to try and take that next step and follow it analytically as well. I refer to the Tennis Abstract single forecast quite frequently, which, of course, using players' prior head-to-heads, prior results, results throughout the course of the season, trying to project their level, offers a singles forecast for every 
tour level and challenger event each and every week. Shout out, as always, to my dear friend Jeff Sackman, who makes all this stuff free. That's why, as a tennis fan, I just don't understand how one could not use Tennis Abstract, as all this information is literally available at your fingertips. That said, so frequently, you know, you hear me refer to good matches. Ooh, it's a 60-40 match, or 65-35, or even if you think a match is going to be 3-3, three and three, you might see it 70-30. All of the matchups tomorrow are within the 60% to 40% framework in terms of the projections by Tennis Abstract in Vienna, meaning they think every match tomorrow is going to be a toss-up. And I mean, listen to these. Medvedev versus Sinner. That's your closest match of the day. Medvedev just a 50.6% favorite over Yannick Sinner. Now, I want to get into each of their levels here this week, why I think that number is selling Medvedev a little bit short. Uh, But, I mean, yeah, I think those have been two of your 10 best players here this season. Medvedev's going to get into the tour finals. Sinner's probably not, but Sinner along with Rafa, the only two players on the ATP tour to make the second week of every slam this season. That's your headliner, and it continues to be good after that. I think everyone always enjoys like uh, watching Grigor Dimitrov. How could you not? He's exceptionally handsome, and the only thing more beautiful than his face might be his technique on the forehand wing, a good one-handed backhand. He's springy right now this week, moving as well as he does when he's healthy. He's taking on a guy in Marcos Giron who's a month removed from his first tour-level final, who's now reached a couple of quarterfinals here to end this season, is one win away, I believe, from making his top 50 debut. Indeed, that is the case as Giron sits at 52 in the rankings. A guy who's playing his best tennis 29 years old, I believe, is Giron, if not 28, playing his best tennis to end the year. I think that's what you want in a year-end matchup. So that's quarterfinal number two. Dan Evans, sneaky solid, you know, top 15 in terms of quarterfinals this season. He's taking on a guy in Denis Shapovalov, who I believe has made four straight semi uh, quarterfinals, excuse me, to end the year. And it's just reminding everyone of why we love his upside so much and a couple of one-handed backhands, righty-lefty matchup. By the way, Dimitrov, 58.2% favorite over Giron. Shapovalov, 53% favorite against Dan Evans. And then the last one might be the best. Hubi Hercots, born a Chorich, two guys, born 1996. Hercots, a 53% favorite Chorich, though, I don't want to say it was an exceptional 7-6 in the third victory over Pass because I don't think either guy played particularly well, and I don't think I'm going to spend that much time on that match here today, even though it was a 7-6 in the third result. But, I mean, again, George back in the top 30, win Cincinnati, is essentially playing with a free six months of points to just rack up, could legitimately make a top 15 push at the start of next season versus a guy in Hubi Hurkacz who really is one of the three players still alive in the race to the year-end finals. And with Felix winning 10 consecutive matches, reaching a quarterfinal this weekend as well, it's do or die right now for Hubi Hurkacz. He currently trails Felix by a little less than 400 points. It's a lot to make up with just this week just the ATP 1000 in Paris next week to go. Now, he still can make it, but he needs to win and he needs some things to break right. And so, you know, again, Medvedev Sinner, Dimitrov Giron, Evan Shampovalov, Hercots Chorich, Friday, October 28th. Come on now. Trick or treat. Like, that's your Halloween gift from the tennis world. These quarterfinals in Vienna. And now, I'm sure all of you are wondering, well, how did we get? to these quarterfinals. Let's dive into that now, and let's start with the Neil Medvedev's 3-3 three and three victory over Dominic Team. 
he Medvedevved. I don't know how else to describe it. And it's a level we've seen him really carry over since losing that three-set match to Stan Wawrinka in France uh, back at the or in the middle of September. If you watched Medvedev play in Astana, the level he displayed, not only against Rusevori 3-2 and two in the round of 16, I think the one-in-one victory over Roberto Bautista Gu, a guy who had notoriously had Medvedev's number because Bautista Gu, a guy who does force you to create a little bit more in the center of the court, is just as patient as Medvedev, doesn't offer him the easy counterpunching chances and can, you know, is a top 10 break percentage guy. Yeah, Medvedev's going to win three points on the serve, but not as many as usual. And Medvedev crushed him one-in-one and played freely, aggressively, loosely from the baseline, physically was just on another level. The 26-year-old looked like a guy who was in smack dab the middle of his physical prime, using those tentacle arms to just track down everything, generate a little bit better depth um, than you would expect. I mean, he was outstanding in Astana, and he's been outstanding to start in Vienna as well. And you look for him, a 2-2 two two win over Basilishvili. That one was expected, but 3-3 three and three win over team. He makes 71% of his first serves, wins 77.5% of his first serve points, faces one break point throughout the course of the match and fights it off with the big first serve, you know, big first strike combination. I mean, that's what Medvedev does. Again, I alluded to this in the introduction. Here's Medvedev's stats this season holding 86.9% of the time. That's 3.1% still better than his career average. Let's keep that in mind. And this is his sixth full season on the ATP Tour. So 3.1% better than his career average, better than his 2020 season, better than his 2019 season. And, you know, you look for him overall on the ATP stats leaderboard as of right now, Daniil Medvedev uh, ranks eighth in terms of hold percentage here this season. Now, the number that stands out to me is his 27.1% break percentage. That's his lowest number in four years. Still a half a percent better than his career average, but 27.1% is his lowest number in four years. And I do think if you've watched Medvedev play, whether it is just the matchup against Kyrgios, the matchup against Tsitsipas in Cincinnati, people are understanding, look, if Medvedev's going to camp 12 feet behind the baseline, I have to hit the first strike. I have to serve in volley. I have to move forward. I have to put this pressure on him. And guys like Kyrgios, Tsitsipas are able to execute well enough to pull that game plan off. Stan Wawrinka for two sets played well enough to pull that game plan off in France. I do think this year there has been acknowledgement's the wrong word, but a realization of what the game plan is to knock off Medvedev, force him to create obviously more on the forehand side. Know that if you play through the backhand, be patient and you will get a shorter ball to attack. Now, that doesn't mean be stagnant, but if you are patient, you will have opportunities. You know, that said, you know, I mentioned it, 86.9% hold percentage, 27.1% break percentage. Those are... well, the hold percentage is still exceptional, but the, the break percentage is a down year for Daniil Medvedev as a returner. And yet Medvedev is still one of just two players to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage this season. Djokovic is one, and he's the only guy to rank top 10, but Medvedev's, again, the only guy other than Djokovic to rank top 15 in both categories. 
And that does put him ahead of guys like Carlos Alcaraz, Rafa, Zverev. And, you know, you look for Medvedev now overall here this season. Again, from a record standpoint, 42-15, and 15, he's still winning 74% of his matches here this season. And, you know, you want to say, well, he only played five clay court matches. Would his hold percentage break taken a hit? You know, if he played more clay matches, maybe, but his break percentage probably goes up a little bit more on that surface as well. And you want to say, well, he didn't play Wimbledon. Doesn't that help his break percentage? Well, you know, Daniil Medvedev still played a total of 11 grass court matches throughout the course of of the year. Excuse me, played a total of... Yeah, 11 grass court matches, finals in the Netherlands where he lost to Van Rijthoven, finals in Hollow where he lost to Hercots, quarterfinals Mallorca loses to RBA. He still had a pretty full grass court season, and so I don't think you can say these numbers are fudged at all by matches he did or didn't play. You know, again, for Daniil Medvedev here this season, what's the big thing missing for him? It's a signature title run. You look for him overall on the year four finals. Obviously... The Australian Open has a love 40 shot to go up, uh, two sets to love and a break on Rafa, unable to convert that. Doesn't have a 1,000-level final this season. You know, you look from him from a slam perspective. Round of 16, Roland Garros, pretty good considering how little clay court tennis he played. Round of 16, the loss to Kyrgios in context makes a little bit more sense. Fine. If like this, again, if this is the baseline season where he's making 10 quarterfinals, one of just seven guys you can say that about here this season, and that list of guys is the elite of the elite. You look at the 10 list, FAA, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Rude, Nori, Alcaraz, Sinner, Hercots, Medvedev. All those guys, but no, I mean, Nori's still alive in the race to the year-end finals, but Again, all those those are your top 12 players in the world. There's a reason I refer to the two-thirds rule so frequently. Uh, if you win two-thirds of your matches, you're just in the mix. And at the highest level, even if he hasn't gotten through in the way he would have liked to this season, you look for Daniil Medvedev here overall against top 10 players. Daniil Medvedev 3-5 and five on the year, just 7-7 seven and seven against the top 20. Yeah, that that pales in comparison to his 18 and 8 last season or even 13 and 9 record against the top 20 back in 2019, but fine. This is a down year for Daniil Medvedev. He's still number 4 in the world. He's still making the year-end finals. And that's why to me he's a tier 1 guy as we move into this decade is because again, I think this is the Nadir, shout out to seventh grade vocabulary, for Medvedev in his prime. It's like, yeah, 2022 was the down year where he only made the one slam final and you know, really still could have and probably should have won that match against Rafa. Fine. You, you look for Medvedev again. Today against team, the first serve was rolling. He just asked every physical question of Dominic team. And after team played this exceptional 7-6 in the third match against Tommy Paul. And, you know, team's played really like 33 matches since the start of July. It's been a lot of tennis for team over the course of the last few months as he tries to work his way back into the top 100. And unfortunately, it will not be this season as team's year ends with this loss to Medvedev. But, Team did well to play the 15, 20-shot rallies to try and attack that Medvedev forehand, to be patient in his attacking of the Medvedev backhand as well. But the Medvedev serve just gave team too many troubles. Medvedev's willingness to mix in the serve and volley to capitalize on team's return positioning. And then, you know, anytime team would give him a lollipop, you never know where Medvedev's going with that first forehand with just his technique, how he holds that ball till so late on his racket. 
Medvedev, again, and the big thing is he just looks healthy. He's moving extraordinarily well. He's clearly able to reach into that serve, which means the app seems to have healed. It was a really good win for Medvedev. And look, for what it's worth, Medvedev 3-0 against Yannick Sinner in his career. Sinner, a 5-3 win over Francisco Sarandolo. Now, part of me wonders watching that match because there were a lot of early errors for Yannick Sinner, who went up in early break in set one, gave the break back, ultimately takes it 7-5, went up in early break in set number two, and that match was over 7 Five six three from there. Sinner was trying to hit behind Sarundalo quite frequently, or if nothing else, Sinner was the one disrupting rallies. Didn't feel like it was a lot of patterns for Yannick Sinner. It was, you know, anything he could take early, he tried to, and whether it was hitting behind Sarundalo or hitting to the open space, he just tried to disrupt Sarundalo's rhythm and tried to be the definitive, you know, player in the match, the one defining the terms of play and. I wonder if that's what he was doing in preparation for the Sinner, uh, Medvedev quarterfinal, knowing, hey, I'm going to have to do that against Medvedev because if I try to outgrind him, I just I don't have that gear in me right now. I'm going to have to take some chances. I'm going to have to hit through the forehand, which is what he tried to do even against Sarundalo, and I think that's why he got into trouble towards the back half of that first set as Sarundalo found his rhythm. That said... Sinner also one of those seven players to reach 10 quarterfinals overall in the season. And there have been a lot of injuries starting and stopping the rhythm of Yannick Sinner here this season. But you look for the 21-year-old overall Yannick Sinner now 47-14 and 14 overall here in 2022. He's one of just 10 guys to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. 47 and 14 is a 77% win percentage. And again, 10 quarterfinals for him overall in the year. Second week of every major now. You know, you look for him only the one final in Umag, where he does beat Carlos Alcaraz uh, in that final, but, you know, certainly has struggled against the best players in the world. Four and nine against the top 20. But I think that number is deceiving because he's actually one in one against players ranked 11 to 20, but three and eight against top 10 opponents this season. I mean, again, Yannick Sinner, that's why he's a lock for me and a tier one guy moving forward is because the only question he has left to answer is the hardest question. Can you be more consistent against the best guys in the biggest moments? I think the answer long term to that question is yes. I just I love the gear of Sinner. I love all the wrinkles he's already added to his game in moving forward, in the continued improvements in his fluidity, in his strength. You feel like it really is clay to mold in terms of him from a physical perspective. And at 21 years old to even with all the injuries, still play 63 matches, improve your hold percentage, break percentage, be one of those guys you know, a top 15, 10 returner on the ATP tour at this age. I don't think anyone has questions about Yannick Sinner, except for can he win the big ones more frequently? And he can't, you know, again, I've said this take before. I'll say it again for all of you listeners because it's been a while. He had match points on Carlos Alcaraz at the U.S. Open. If he wins that match point, I think he goes on to win the title. And I think everything we've said about Carlos Alcaraz over the past month, we'd be saying about Yannick Sinner as well. And I will. Con- that's why I will continue to hold him in that high of esteem. You know, that said again, Medvedev 3-0 against Sinner. So that's going to be a fun one. Dimitrov taking on Giron. Dimitrov exceptional in a 3-4 and four win over Andre Rublev. Anytime he got a look at Rublev's second serve, he made Rublev play, uh, pay. And, you know, Dimitrov, it's funny, they traded breaks early in the match, but Dimitrov actually made it three straight breaks going up 3-1 in the first set. 
didn't get broken from there. Uh, I don't believe Grigor was broken throughout the course of the match. And in fact, you look at the numbers, excuse me, it was broken one time. I just said it to start the match. Wasn't broken after that start, though. Grigor won 93% of his first serve points in this match. He had Rublev on the run consistently. And whether it was the slice on the backhand to just disrupt Rublev's rhythm, I mean, again, when you type, or if you're trying to show someone how, what you want your forehand to look perfect, throw film on of Dimitrov hitting his forehand today. The balance, the footwork, the open stance, it's gorgeous. You look for Grigor now overall here this season. 23 and 20. I mean, again, doesn't sound particularly great. Just a fifth quarterfinal for him on the season. Now, two of them came at Indian Wells and Monte Carlo, so that helps his ranking, but. Right now, Grigor Dimitrov, 30 in the world, and I did this take earlier in the week. I talk about the 25 guys born 1996 or later who I just think are going to be in the mix moving forward. Is there room for a Dimitrov? You know, I think Roberto Bautista Gu, Carreño Busta, I feel pretty good about them over the next two years. In particular, Carreño Busta being a little bit younger, just 30 years old, I feel like he's still going to be a top 30 guy over these next two years. I can't say that I'm that confident about Diego Schwartzman. I can't say that I'm that confident about Grigor Dimitrov either. Just the consistency has not been there uh, throughout the course of the year. You look for Grigor, who's had so many different injuries, obviously, and you know so many different bouts with COVID over the course of the past two and a half years. But you look for him in first matches here this season. Actually, 14-7 and seven is not too shabby. Maybe it's just the struggles here to end the year. Your losses to Ivashka, to Lechechka, um, to... You know, maybe those are the ones that are just sticking right now more in my head. But Dimitrov needed this week, and it's a big match for him as he takes on Marcos Garon, who has beaten him prior in their career. These two, one and one in their career, had to head. Garon just physically is in the prime of his career. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. He was made, able to match Iron Lungs, Cam Nori. I said this on yesterday's show. Nori will respect Garon as a former NCAA singles champion. Nori was young at TCU when Garon was at his best in college. You just don't forget about those things. And, you know, Garon wasn't phased by the patience of Cam Nori. Garon waited for his chances to hit the big forehand, move Nori around the court. And I'll tell you what, when Garon has his feet set behind his forehand— it's just the racket speed. It's just, again, it's visceral. You can It's a missile, and it makes sense with how he swings at his forehand. So it's a really good win for Garon. Sets up a fun matchup there. Again, 1-1 career head-to-head. Uh, the other winner on the day was Chorch, 7-6 in the third. And again, Tsitsipas came out hot, was hitting the forehand well, was hitting the serve well, did not hit his backhand well at any point of this match, except for maybe the third set breaker. And, you know, third set, I believe the guys trade a couple of breaks. George fighting off nine of the 12 break points that he faces in the match. Tsitsipas able to fight off three of six. Not a lot of 10-shot rallies in this match. You know, it felt like George did a really good job attacking the Tsitsipas backhand, moving forward towards that backhand. And Tsitsipas had a tough day at the office there, and that continues to be obviously the thing for Tsitsipas moving forward. Elite players know how to execute their game plans against his weakness and can do it with the repetition necessary to do so. That said, 7-6 in the third. Tsitsipas' serve, his forehand, they're non-negotiable. If he's clicking on them, it doesn't matter if the backhand's misfiring. It's going to keep him in the match. That was the tale of today. Chorich just ultimately threw to another quarterfinal. And again, you look for Borna Chorich right now. He is currently sitting at number 26 in the live rankings with the entire first half of next year just open to play with in terms of gaining points. So really, really fun 
action in Vienna. I think it's going to continue to be fun throughout the course of the weekend. With that said, let's move on now to the action happening in Basel. And going to go a little quicker through this one. I know I focused on it yesterday. You look uh, at today's results. I'm not doing the Felix rant again. I've done too many Felix rants over the last three weeks. I suppose doing a daily podcast, sometimes that happens when a player goes on a 10-match win streak. But Felix won 92% of his first serves today. He made him at a two-thirds clip. He didn't face a break point. It was one all in the match, and then he ripped off 11 straight games. And his first serve, his first forehand, they were unplayable. There was nothing Kesmanovic could do. The depth, the precision Felix was hitting them with— Kasmanovic didn't make a ton of first serves in this match. I believe only made, oh no, I guess he made 65% of them, but it just felt like he abandoned it and it started rolling them in. And I mean, Felix saw it like a grapefruit and just his ability to take that return on the rise and time it perfectly indoors. I mean, he's that sort of athlete. When he connects with the ball in the center of his racket, he's just going to blitz you off the court. And 10 straight wins. How many players have had double-digit win streaks here this season? I imagine the list is fewer than 10. Felix is now on it. It's probably fewer than five, to be honest. And again, Felix is now on that list, and deservedly so. He truly was just spectacular uh, in a straight set win today. I mean, Sasha Bublik, 3-3 over Ramos. No comment, as expected. Um, What other results do we have on the day? Ooh, RBA over Murray, 3-2. I mean, it was just tough. Murray, his ball didn't penetrate the court at all. It just felt like RBA had every forehand exactly where he wanted it on the court. He had Murray on a string, three balls inside out, one ball inside in. Murray's inside, you know, on the run forehand was sitting short. RBA would take that ball on the rise down the line, force Murray to hit an on the run backhand, and then would more often than not put the ball away at the net. Now, Murray didn't serve particularly well here today. The second serve was just sitting up like a grapefruit again for RBA to time perfectly and right away he had Murray in a defensive position it's a good run for Roberto Bautista who you look now overall here on the year RBA into his seventh quarterfinal RBA from a points perspective uh 21st in the points race but 21st in the rankings as well one more victory will get him up to number 19 34 years old still a top 25 guy I mean, again, gets to set his schedule as he deems fit. And again, if I offer you that smorgasbord of players, hopefully Rayonich gets healthy one day, Nishikori gets healthy one day, we get them back in the mix. But like RBA, PCB, Dimitrov, Schwartzman. And by the way, I'm making a list of uh, of November podcasts that I need to do, and I actually think this is going to be one of them. If I'm going to give you those four guys who ends 2023 ranked highest— I mean, you probably take RBA, right? Um, and I think that makes sense. Like, I, I think he's had the best year of the group. I know PCB's ranked a little bit higher, but it's because he had a really good week in Toronto. I mean, that's like the – those are the new veterans, right? That's the new Songa, Gasquet, Simone, Monfi. I know all those guys are French. That's just a coincidence, but like – Late career Ferrer, late career Burdich. I guess where Chilich is right now, maybe you put him in this group. Um, that that's it. Like that, those are your new veterans. That's the new upper class, right? And so um, I do think that's fascinating. To I do think that will be a good December podcast. I'm literally writing it down as we speak so that I don't forget um, that moving forward because. 
Those are your veterans, and RBA, again, has been the best of the bunch, although good day for the veterans in Basel in general. Stan Wawrinka used every bit of the home crowd to power through Brandon Nakashima, 6-4, 6-4 now. Stan served for the match in the second set, but Brandon is the Cranberries. He just lingers and made enough backhand returns, which he... I think he takes on the rise too frequently. If he took six steps back on the return and took the Dominic team position, he would get a clean rip on the return every time. And when he gets a clean rip, generating depth isn't an issue. I like when he takes the forehand on the rise, and I like the return on the rise mentality as a wrinkle in general, but I don't. I think he does it too frequently. And I think long-term, that's a very good play for Brandon. I wouldn't hate to see that aggression, though, paired back just a little bit from the young American. That said... You know, Stan refound his rhythm in the third, executed on the first strike so well, at times overwhelmed Brandon's forehand with his pace, served well, and you know now he's into a quarterfinal against a fellow veteran, a matchup. He's only actually played twice, him and RBA, 1-1 career head-to-head. That'll be fun. And then Holger Runa just Holgered it up. 4-2 over on Bear, gets the late break in the first set and then breaks him right away to start the second. Holger's just found his rhythm. The defensive skills have always been there, but he's just hitting the first strike so much more confidently, moving forward with more frequency. We may remember that Demon Hour semifinal match the way I remember the Sinner Tiafo Vienna match from last year um, as just like one of those inflection points where Runa kind of realized, oh, moving forward is working for me. I now believe in this play. I actually think I am this good. If I can pull it off against Demon Hour, who else can I pull it off against? And so uh, it's been really nice to see his level continue to pick up, and he'll take on former AM All-American Arthur Rinder Kinesh tomorrow, who, of course, is competing in his fourth consecutive quarterfinal. For what it's worth from a tennis abstract perspective, Alcaraz, 73.9% favorite over PCB. That's a very fun matchup, though. Felix, 72.7 over Bublik. Uh, Runa, 59.9 only over Rinder Kinesh. Tennis abstract, respecting the indoor hardcourt success of Rinder Kinesh as they should, RBA, 66.8% against Stan. Honestly, that number's light. I think RBA might get the, a significant better of Stan, particularly given Stan. You know, good wins over Rude. The three-set physical one over Nakashima. I just don't trust his legs right now uh, the way I trust RBA, who's had two relatively simple wins. But uh, with that said, again, a little bonus coverage here for all of you Cracked Rackets fans that want to talk about two other events happening this week. I know I kind of went through the full synopsis in the intro, but WTA, Tampico, 125K event. Uh, the big upset on the day, Magda Lynette, 7562 over Elisa Mertens. I'll continue to say it. Magda's been sneaky good here down the home season stretch. The 30-year-old now, you know, final in Chennai, quarterfinal in Seoul, quarterfinal at the Tampico 125K, quarterfinal in Cleveland as well. It's been a really good home stretch for her. And, you know, with her success, Lynette now uh, all the way up to number 52 in the live rankings, which 30 years old, you're just in the mix for every event you want to play. You set your own schedule. It's a very good win uh, for Lynette typical puzzler for Mertens who played a funky one but a really fun three-set match which with Ashlyn Kruger 
I just love Kruger's power. I'm still enticed. And for what it's worth, you look for Kruger, her first full season on the Pro Tour, 18 years old, up to number 199 in the rankings, is 33 and 21 this year, and you know won a 60K in July, quarterfinals an 80K to start October, quarterfinals of a 60K in September as well. She's coming, folks. Just trust me. Keep an eye on Ashlyn Kruger, another young American to be on the lookout for. How about Layla Fernandez? plays this event and you know good win over another rising young American Elizabeth Mandelik six and two in round number one then a three and two win over uh Yu Xiao D in round number two now things pick up for Fernandez in round three she'll take on the big hitting Rebecca Marino who earned an impressive round of 16 three set win love this choice for Layla Fernandez you look overall now on the season Layla Fernandez in total here in 2022 33 matches, 20 and 13 overall on the year. And that's including this week's two matches. You're 20 years old. Go get those reps in. Love this decision from Fernandez, who, by the way, has fallen to number 40 in the rankings and would like to just ensure she doesn't have to place qualifying at any of the 1,000-level events. So love that. And for what it's worth, Fernandez, 55% favorite tomorrow against Marino. That's respect for Marino, the Canadian who has had some success of late. You also have Lin Ju taking on Katerina Sinyakova, both of them straight-set winners in the round of 16. Kami Osorio, also straight-set winner. She'll take on Elisabetta Cochiretta. Really, the first blink of the season for second seed Marie Buzkova as Cochiretto earned a 2-6-6-3-7-5 victory. You look at that match for what it's worth, unsurprisingly, three hours on court between those two. Yeah, it, I would expect a physical battle. Uh, but that's honestly the first bad loss, dare I say, and it's not even that bad of a loss. How can a three-hour loss ever be considered bad? But first surprising loss, we'll say, uh, of the season for Marie Buzkova. That said, again, your quarterfinal, or your as of right now, Camio Sorio, interesting. 18.1% favorite according to Tennis Abstract. Then Fernandez, 16%. Ju Lin, 14.3% after that. What happened? Oh, these events are happening as I speak in Tampico. Makes sense, sure. Uh, where Lin Ju just knocked out Sinyakova, 4-5. and five. So that would explain why her percentages just went up the way that they did. Magdalenette actually the overwhelming favorite, 30.7%. But that's because she's already into the semifinals. So we'll see how those numbers adjust later on in the week. Keep your eye on that event. Very, very fun. Certainly, if Fernandez gets a title, you just feel like that's the confidence she needs to regain that uh, early season in late 2021 form. That said, other event, Las Vegas Challenger. Jerry Shang. Three set wins over Kosbinov as well as Alfredo Perez. Perez, the upset of the tournament, the Florida, former University of Florida All-American, who funnily enough I talked about recently in a Crack Interviews podcast, actually today with a guest we had, a pod that will come out next week. Alfredo took out Dennis Kudla, 4-3. and three. That's a really good win uh, for the former number one college tennis player in the country. But then got knocked out by Jerry Shang, 7-6-4-6-6-3. If you haven't watched the 17-year-old play, power tennis at its finest and you look for shang now into the top 200 number 200 in the rankings he is the highest ranked player under the age of 18 by a significant margin and you look for the 17 year old overall here this season 29 and 18 overall he's into a challenger quarterfinal for the fourth time here this year and all of them coming since august lexington granby fairfield las vegas that my folks is called making the leap and 
He just has weapons from the ground that can't be denied, and it is going to be big hitting tomorrow as he takes on Ernesto Escobedo. Escobedo, a very impressive 2-3 and three win over Ben Shelton. His power tennis just kind of gave the Shelton forehand some troubles uh, in their round of 16 battle. That's a fun one. Brandon Holt, two good wins over Max Verboven, a former teammate, I believe, of his. Uh, is that the Verboven who played with? Anyways, a win over Verboven, then a 6-5 and five win over a fellow former All-American, a guy in his, I would say, peer group in Alexander Kovacevic, Kova, 6-5 and five win over, uh, excuse me, Holt, a 6-5 win over the eighth seed, just continuing to capitalize on his form. And with all the future success he had to start the season, obviously has made that trans, uh, transition well to the challenger level now, his second challenger quarterfinal of the year. Brandon Holt, very quietly, 49-17 and 17 this year, 74% win percentage. That is how you currently find yourself at a new career high in the rankings, as Holt does currently sitting at number 216, excuse me, one off his career high of 215 uh, in the live rankings. But guess what? That means you're going to Australia, uh, especially if he can knock off Tennis Sandgren. Good wins over Fanislow, former Pepperdine All-American, and then incoming TCU freshman qualifier Jack Pennington-Jones, 5-3 and three in the round of 16. Uh, your other quarterfinals, Lexi Galarno, good wins for the former NC State All-American over Seventh-seeded Fasun Domina, as well as Govananda, former UCLA All-American. Galarno, who's just so smooth around the court. I don't know if he does anything exceptionally well, except for how he competes, which he does compete exceptionally well. But he's very good at everything. And that's just going to take you places. And you look for Galarno now here this season. First real full year on the pros. The 23-year-old up to number 220, which is two off his career high ranking. 23 years old, sneaky young is Galarno. That's a good place for him to be moving forward. He'll take on Stefan Kozlov, who's got some serious points to defend here to end the season. Kozlov, a 6-2 and two winner over Evan Jew. Uh, your other match, Juan Pablo Vicovic, very nice win over Gabriel Diallo in three sets. By the way, it just seems Seems less and less likely Diallo will be returning to Kentucky. Uh, Vikovic now going to take on the GOAT, Stevie Johnson, who's earned wins over Gastow Elias and Mitchell Kruger to get to the quarterfinals. Stevie Johnson on top 100 alert as Stevie currently at number 116, a title this week. will get him, as of right now, up to number 99 in the live rankings, which, hey, Stevie J., you are 32 years old. You want to be in the top 100, guaranteeing yourself places in slams and ATP main draws as we move into the next season. But with that said, for what it's worth, as of right now, Stevie J, 40.8% chance to win the challenger, according to the Tennis Abstract forecast. Next closest, Tennis Sandgren, 14-7. So right now, Tennis Abstract likes the veterans in Vegas. We'll see if that ultimately ends up the case. With that said... That's your preview of Friday, October 28th in the pro tennis world. It's going to be a fun day, folks. Buckle your seatbelt. It says it just keeps happening. Jam-packed action, week in, week out. Certainly makes my job easy here at Crack Rackets, and we'll continue to keep you up to date on everything happening in the pro tennis world, including live coverage of a little Norman Open action on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel this weekend. We always enjoy shining a light on these rising stars at every level, of course, the Norman Open. Open, a futures event happening this week in Oklahoma. We'll have semifinals and finals coverage of singles, finals coverage of doubles for you Saturday and Sunday. You don't want to miss out on free tennis, high level. Who doesn't like that? You can be the smart one in your friend group who said, I saw him play at the Norman Open five years ago, so I knew he was going to make a top 100 run. Uh, that's the fun you get to 
have when you nerd out with us here at Cracked Rackets. With that said, you know why we're able to nerd out here? Because of the work of super producer Daniel Westhoff, who, as always, has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. Shout out as well to the support. Sincerely, we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Immensely grateful. They understand the necessity of a providing a daily podcast to tennis fans week in, week out, day in, day out to support them as well. Go to tennis-point.com. And why wouldn't you? It's all the latest equipment at all of the greatest prices. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there. With that said, for our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.